passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody, to Rewind a Raw. John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting, the Iron Man of post-wrestling over the last couple of days. It feels like a while since we've last spoken, Wei. However, you've been in my ears all weekend long, and a great job. Uh, well done on your part. Oh, thank you so much. Well, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it has sort of become a mission of mine now to watch and review every single match of this G1. Yeah, I got the because uh, I've offered you the the chance to have an out, and you're so deep in it now. I can see your your competitive juices are just flowing. That you're going to see this thing through right until the end. You're going to be the Iron Man of this year's G1. I need to feel what at least a, a semblance of what it might be like to go through this thing, and uh, uh, I, I feel like I have the energy. This is kind of my first year going through it. Next year, you you better check with me though. <laughs> well. We are into the final week. It's a very big week here at Post Wrestling because we have the final G1 shows coming up. Way and I will be back on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday with shows on the Post Wrestling Cafe. That will be going through the Yokohama show Wednesday. Then they go to Budokan Hall for three straight nights beginning Friday. And it all leads up to Sunday, which is going to be a special free show here at postwrestling.com as we will go through the entire final night, discuss the winner, and we are going to be joined by... Uh, probably a few guests, perhaps on Sunday. One for sure is Chris Engler, who will be making the formal announcement of this year's first annual post-wrestling G1 contest winner. Winners, because we'll be choosing the top three. But of course, maybe the, the the top prize getter might might get something even more special. But uh, it is a very close race up at the top there. I loved your idea that the winner gets a briefcase and they could just do a run-in on a podcast sometime and try and unseat one of us. Oh, we can actually offer that if you would like, I, <laughs> like imagine somebody wanting to come in during like this edition of raw and just like, we let them take over the entire show. They get to cash in their, their big G one win might be more prestigious than winning the G one yeah. itself. I mean, although, you on, know. although on this edition of raw, I, I don't expect many takers. No, no, this would be like the, the Damien Sandow uh, briefcase win and mm-hmm. failure. Well, uh, before we get into everything that's coming up this week, I do want to uh, draw some attention to the shows over the weekend. There were quite a few of them uh, with many different guests. I heard Wei talk, talk about many different eras of Japanese wrestling. Uh, you can go back and listen to him and WH Park chat about Saturday's card in Osaka featuring, I thought, an all-time legendary match between uh, Hiroki Goto and Tamatonga. Uh, but that was <laughs> then even topped. It even beat that with Kenny Omega and Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, I am going to just uh, let it out of the bag now. I was completely with you, Way. That was my new top match of the G1 on Saturday. 
Well, I look forward to hearing more of your thoughts on on some of those particular matches, uh, some of the matches on on the last night's show as well as Saturday's show. So, um, well, we'll do a big catch up on Wednesday. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll we'll do that for sure. But you can download that show at the Post Wrestling Cafe uh, that featured WH Park, who went to the show on Saturday, and then Sunday you were joined by Fraser Marriott, and this might have been your all time greatest booking ever. Way. <laughs> So there's an incident that happens on Sunday's card where Tamatonga goes into the crowd where this gentleman who is seated not too far from Fraser. He is an eyewitness to this entire account. And Tamatonga proceeds to get into this guy's face and then grab him by the throat. This was not a plant. And Fraser gives a pretty detailed blow by blow on what led up to this. Uh, what this fan had been yelling during the undercard, and it all culminated in Tamatonga putting his hands on this fan, which, I'm sorry, I I feel that was uh, quite a few steps above the the line of professionalism, or I should say unprofessionalism. Hmm. Yeah, to hear Fraser's account of it, it, it is really interesting, because he seems to believe that, um, uh, from what he gathers, like people were kind of supporting Tamatonga. Or going after this fan, saying this fan kind of deserved it. So, I mean, uh, I don't know necessarily know what rules are uh, or etiquette is in Japan when it comes to, you know, putting your hands on fans. But uh, anyway. Uh, how, how about the other way around? If a fan got so into the act that they put their hands on a performer? I think that's a pretty one-sided discussion we'd be having. Like, you never put your hands on a performer. And I think that goes both ways. That this fan may have been yelling whatever. Uh, I didn't even mind him going up to this guy and getting in his face. But once you put your hands on a guy right around his throat, I think that's where you have to draw the line. You're opening up your entire company uh, to who knows what um, if this fan wanted wanted to press charges to do anything. Um, I don't know. It was I, a- I just I just think it was a really bad look on uh, New Japan's part that uh, here's one of your performers uh, putting your hands on a fan like that. It's it was an interesting and almost shocking uh, scene to behold, and hearing Fraser's account of it, I think adds a lot more context. Uh, so do follow him at Fraser Japan. He's been on a number of podcasts, including ours, as well as uh, uh, the Super J Cast. Recently, he was on another edition of their show. So uh, do follow him because he's he is in for the ride in a, at a much greater level than I by physically traveling to every show of this G One. So give him a follow along with WH Park at WH Park Nine. Yes, all you fans out there that are going to the Barclays Center for SummerSlam and have your beach balls ready, go listen to this account from Fraser about what happened uh, when Tamatonga got upset. Uh, maybe some of that will rub off on Roman Reigns. Uh, and then, as well as weekend, Way was very busy. He was on with Chris Charlton chatting about the year that was 1995 at the Tokyo Dome, going through many different Dome shows uh, from that particular year. That's when the UWFI feud was going on with New Japan. Uh, you had a whole plethora of matches way advocating for smoking uh there was some great stuff on that show and then to cap it off we have a ufc 227 review uh, with myself phil and ziggy uh, chatting about saturday's card which uh, i imagine you didn't see way but did you hear some of the news coming out of it with demetrius johnson unseated after almost six years as champion yes absolutely I i was following twitter that evening and uh it almost made me regret not watching that show because, um, to me, like he is the last kind of a, of the great long-standing champions from the period when I was following quite religiously. So um, that that is quite big news to me. Yes, the Bruno San Martino 
of the UFC flyweights mm-hmm. who won that title here in Toronto in 2012. Wow, uh, so, that long ago. Jeez. Yeah, September. I think it was September 22nd, 2012. That was the night that um, John Jones fought Vitor Belfort. Mm-hmm. It was so long ago. Six mm-hmm. years next month. Uh, so that is up there. You can download that show for free as well. And uh, Wade, you want to just give a quick preview of uh, what else is coming up this week beyond the G1 shows? Sure, yeah. Well, let let me first talk about our friends at the uh, British Wrestling Experience, because not only do they have a regular show coming out this Wednesday, they will also have a special interview coming out, uh, I believe we've said Friday. I could be wrong, but it's sometime later on this week, so do uh, subscribe to their feed and uh, look for that bonus show, and uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a bit more about that tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, for CAFE members, not only do we have continued G1 coverage this week, but the double shot, of course, will also be out. We have decided to move the double shot now from Monday nights to Tuesday nights. That's because Raw tends to go a little bit later. Our reviews tend to go a little bit later because Raw is three hours. Uh, So we've decided to push that over to Tuesdays now so that we can record it after SmackDown. Uh, So do look for that tomorrow where John will be covering. It was a a race to the finish way. I didn't know what I was going to do. I have settled on Lucha Underground. Because cool. I have an I have a new rule when it comes to the double shot and what I review. When there is a murder on an episode, I owe it to our listeners to review it. Oh. Or should I say on this episode, murders? Well, how can I not be interested? Uh, I've really not followed Lucha Underground at all. Really. Nobody is. So. I mean, it's doing awful viewership this season. So I feel that even my tease, most people listening to this. We'll treat that as a legitimate tease for an episode that aired five days ago, and that we'll be hearing about this for the first time on yeah. Tuesday night. As well, we'll also be chatting a bit about the latest latest edition of Being the Elite, which kind of leads into uh, today's news topic. Yes, we are going to go to our, our news topic here from uh, some of my news update from Monday. You can read all of it at postwrestling.com, and the major news today was on Monday's edition of Being the Elite, they announced the broadcast information for All In. And they're going to be airing a one-hour, well, I guess the first hour of the show, which they are not calling a kickoff or a pre-show. It is going to be all-in zero hour, airing at 6 p.m. Eastern on WGN America, which will serve as a lead-in to the event, which will be airing on traditional pay-per-view, as well as streaming uh, where you can buy it on Fight TV, uh, starting at 7 p.m. On top of that, they have announced new matches with Stephen Amell versus Christopher Daniels and a battle royal, the over-budget battle royal. And the first participants they've announced are Moose, Colt Cabana, Jordan Grace, Rocky Romero, and Canadian Ethan Page. So that's so interesting. Yeah, the fact that they would do it. Are they calling it the over-budget battle royal? That's what they called it on Twitter, which they oh should go God. with that that name. It's a good name. Again, I guess it really just shows you how many people want to be a part of this show. And, I mean, Battle Royals are great ways to do that and a great way to include surprises. Who knows who, who will appear? Uh, I'm I'm a little surprised that they would do a Mel versus Daniels in a straight-up singles match because uh, I think uh, it's a bit of a risk. But uh, from what I gather, Stephen Amell's been training pretty hard at it. So Stephen uh, Amell looked really good in that SummerSlam match a few years ago. And... It's also with Christopher Daniels that mm. I think that match with, with a crowd like that, I, I think that match is going to be just fine right? Um, as is. But you're right. It was 
I'm wondering if any of these matches are going to flip around or if these are all going to be locked in uh, for what they are, because we'll spend more time talking about this on the double shot. But uh, of mm-hmm. course, there's the, the Joey Ryan yep. resurrection that is on the uh, the the uh, forthcoming episodes. As far as the broadcast deal, I mean, I think that's huge news. Not only I mean, I, I feel like we all maybe somewhat expected this to be on some type of iStreaming streaming service, but the fact that it's on wgn a broadcast partner uh i think that's or at least the kickoff i mean uh, i think we're probably paying them i mean this is not probably obviously you would figure if they're on wgn it means wgn is paying them for this du- hour and wgn's not some small channel like we, 77 million homes it's we, pretty we, significant we always got wgn up in canada as part of our cable package so uh it's really big yeah, I can I can order WGN on on my cable provider. Um, you and I may have to find WGN that night, uh, depending. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Which yes. we have had some very gracious uh, listeners out there re- reach out to us. I think everything will be fine uh, for for all in, but mm-hmm. perhaps uh, perhaps Way's going to have to uh, get into this battle royal in order to see this show. We'll have to find out. Um, mm-hmm. But. The, the price point, um, I've seen some people on our message board who are saying they've gone to Fight TV and it's listed for $54.99. When I went there, it's listed for $39.99. So hmm. um, that, that is not Canadian. Ch- Canadian, right, John? Yes, but it, you wouldn't be seeing a $15 difference between Canadian and American. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, it's, it's, I, I would say $40 should be the bare minimum. I, I feel that you can get people to spend... TNA pay-per-views go for about $45. I think they can get a healthy amount of people spending $45 for this pay-per-view. I think that's a good price point. I don't think you're undervaluing yourself by uh, cheapening you know, your product by, by charging less than that. Uh, I think going slightly under what TNA might be charging is a good way to kind of still maintain this uh, accessibility um, that they're trying to champion. At least they, they seem to with uh, the, the prices of their tickets initially. Um, and they stand to make a good chunk of change, I would say, from that. Does this do a hundred thousand buys? Okay, what was when was the last mm, non? How do Ring of Honor shows typically do? Ring of Honor numbers uh, don't typically get reported. Like, I don't think they're doing crazy amounts. I would imagine for a Ring of Honor pay per view, just guessing, I would imagine they're doing in the neighborhood of maybe fifteen to. The high end being 20 would be my guess, but that's purely a guess. I think this does better than most Ring of Honor shows, if not all Ring of Honor shows on pay-per-view. That's just my own personal perspective about the type of buzz I'm seeing about the show versus your typical, even big Ring of Honor show. Um, I I would say 100,000 seems like a huge jump, though, especially with... Be- Bellator, Bellator, when they did a pay-per-view... They did their first one in 2014, and I believe that one was right around 100, which, hmm. granted, they, they had Spike TV at the time to promote that. I think there's a huge amount of buzz for this. I think 100,000 would be a home run to do that amount on pay-per-view. Um, maybe maybe 70 is more of a realistic figure. Yeah. Um, it, it's really hard to tell. It's it, like this is so... Uh, so much of an experiment that they're not on traditional television, but you know there is a fervent audience that wants to watch this, that will spend money on this. So I'm I'm kind of leaning towards being more optimistic than pessimistic with what they can draw on pay-per-view. 
I, I would I would go with you on, on that kind of uh, feeling because I think if there's something I've learned is that it, it, when it comes to this show, it's that you can't really underestimate them. Like, I wouldn't have expected that sellout that quickly. Uh, I, I don't even know if I fully expected that sellout. So um, how this does on that day with the amount of buzz that, that's leading into it, um, that's it, it's really hard to say. Now, I, I do think they, they are missing, you know, their key headlining match, uh, probably involving Kenny Omega. Do do you have any predictions about what ends up ends up headlining the show? Kenny Omega seems it would seem logical to pair him with Pentagon, although I don't know if that is. Do you feel that could that could headline to this audience? I would. I I don't think Pentagon is as well known, maybe as uh, um, uh, a lot of. Uh, you know, uh, some of the others I would say on this show. However, I mean, I think it's a I, matchup that we anybody who knows Pentagon and Kenny Omega would really salivate over. I, I suppose with with all the other members of the elite tied up right now uh, already in matches, it's hard for me to think of a, a, a different match for Kenny. From a story perspective, I think that the strongest story that you could end the show with is Cody winning the NWA championship. Like his father's title in this sold out venue that he's the face of, um, that he will clearly be the baby face for. Um, but I don't know if you promote that as your, mm, I don't yeah. know how you necessarily are going to be promoting this around any one match. It's not like this has, in some ways, it does have weekly television in the form of the show, but I don't think you're going to be seeing, um, no, your, tr- like this thing is in three weeks, you yeah. know what I mean? Four weeks that it's pretty much sold now in people's mind. Yeah, I don't think it'll be Nick Aldis headlining the show. I mean, no no disrespect at all, but I just don't think he has uh, kind of the buzz um, as, as some of the others on the show. Um, I, I also think of what most importance is match quality, and I wouldn't necessarily bank on that particular match to kind of headline a show that, that also features uh, the Young Bucks teaming up with Kota Ibushi so, or a Kenny Omega potential you know headlining match. So I would bank on Kenny versus somebody else. Of, of note, if it's Pentagon, uh, I think it'll still do very well. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's that's very interesting to think about. Uh, just a few other stories here. Um, September the 1st, one man who apparently will not be part of the over-budget battle royal is John Cena, who that day will be wrestling for the WWE in Shanghai, China on September the 1st. Who do you, th- who, uh, who do you think he'll wrestle? I have no idea. Um, I want to see him versus Bin Wong. Bring it on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that would be my pick as well. I don't know how that guy's doing. Like, I have not heard really any updates from from that whole group. But uh, I could see something like that. I mean, I don't know. He's also announced that he'll be debuting a new finisher. Wow. Uh, maybe he's going to incorporate uh, the uh, his own one-winged angel. Mm. That's why, uh, hmm. what's his name? Killian Dane hasn't been using it. Uh, as well, we brought this up last week. Uh, Friday was the UFC press conference, and what a what a comedy this was. First of all, they started a half hour late, and then the first question is from John Morgan of MMA Junkie, who they bring out all the fighters, and he asks Dana White, uh, Dana, you have any other video packages or anything to show us? And Dana's like, oh, no, that that's everything. And he's asked about Connor and Khabib, and they're like, yeah, we're working on it. It's it's the fight to make. And then at the end of the press conference, oh, yeah, we've got this video. Ha, ha, ha. 
and they air the trailer away, and within five seconds, there is the bus. Uh, have you watched this trailer yet? Oh, God, I haven't. No, I've, I've seen the outrage, though. Sorry, I've just been so caught up. But uh, anyway, yeah, so they use the bus footage. It's the focus, and I can't say I was surprised by it at all, and I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not even uh, necessarily making a big deal out of it. It's to be expected that they were going to use this. I shouldn't be surprised at all. But I do it, think it's in, just, poor, it's in poor taste. It sends a bad message to anybody yes. thinking about doing this. Like if you're if you're up, an up up and coming rest, uh, MMA fighter, if you're thinking about doing something stupid, uh, typically that filter in your head tells you not to do it. But um, in this case, it might start telling you that hey, this could work work out in your favor. Yeah, he's going to make so much off of this uh, incident. Um, in addition to. Um, some have made the argument they don't even really need that, that this is going to be giant anyway, but it did not stun me at all that they use this uh, for the the big feature. And that will be October the 6th, UFC 229. It could very well be uh, the biggest UFC card in history. And the final note uh, before we get into Raw is that George St. Pierre did a very inter- interesting interview uh, with our pals uh, Casper and uh, the team at Submission Radio. Awesome. Cool. I love those yes. guys. Yes, so they, he was discussing. He was offered to fight Nate Diaz in September. Uh, he said he was not interested in fighting Nate Diaz and is leaving it open that he could fight in November at Madison Square Garden. And he brought up the idea that he could fight in Toronto in December and pretty much shot down the idea of fighting Anderson Silva, thinking it doesn't really get him a whole lot. It's a lot of risk and not a whole lot of reward fighting him now. Mm-hmm. And he kind of left it um, that fighting the winner of Conor McGregor or Khabib Nurmagomedov, that would be something that would intrigue him. And he's interested in things that are going to enhance his legacy. And also brought up the fact that going down to lightweight and challenging for the title, the UFC may not be cool with that because of the fact he's vacated the middleweight and welterweight titles, which if George is following the UFC's care about their championships (laughs) is laughable that they would give a shit. If this guy went down, made them a ton of money and then he could throw that title into the goddamn river and they would just be happy to fish it out and hand it to the next lightweight in line. Really? Yeah. I mean, they're very kind of singularly focused. I, I, I think just on that, that marquee, you know, what, what appears on the poster, you want to see the big names and you want to see that it's a, it's for championship of any sort. So I, I do I do like that George is so transparent about only wanting fights that enhance his legacy from this point on. I mean, like enough with that other title bullshit. I don't care. I want matches with big names and matches that will probably make him a lot of money as well. George is tr- a tremendous interview these days, which is uh, so funny compared to where when he was in the thick of his title run, when he just seemed to hate doing interviews. And now he is so relaxed. He is so open. And in some ways, he reminds me of Daniel Bryan, where he's just, he's so honest. And you always believe, like, he has the ultimate credibility to me Mm -hmm. because he doesn't sound like someone that is ever going to bullshit you in his interviews. He's just completely open. Well, even when he's, like, quote-unquote, like, doing his tape recorder-style interview, I think that all those thoughts are still pretty honest thoughts. He just has to regurgitate so often. Oh, the final thing. Did you see Colby Covington go from Monday Night Raw to the White House last week meeting President Trump? Yeah, I was actually there when you showed me the tweet, actually. Oh, that's right. I thought you were saying I was actually there at the White House. I Uh, took a photo. Yeah. (laughs) Dan Lambert was there, Matt Hughes was there, and Dana White was there with Colby Covington. Yeah, well, hey, that's uh, 
uh, good for him. How many people can say that in the span of one year they were in an impact wrestling ring and meeting Donald Trump in the in the Oval Office? Two people can say that now. Um, yeah, I'd have to think about all the people that that have been in an impact wrestling ring. Um, yeah, I don't know if uh, many could say that. Um, Did, I, I don't think uh, Bruce, Eddie Edwards. Uh, no, <laughs> Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> Rosemary, maybe? No. Oh, yeah, probably Rosemary. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let us get into Raw. Of course, all those news stories you can read more in depth every day at postwrestling.com. But Monday night, uh, Raw was centered around Ronda Rousey's first match on Raw from Jacksonville, Florida. And we started off the show with a recap last week with a timeline throughout the night. I like this way. I like it, too. Yeah, different style. I like it. Yeah. All leading up to the big segment with Brock Lesnar, and tonight was kind of the the aftermath of Brock Lesnar's appearance last week. Kurt Angle came out with Baron Corbin and a giant Wei Ting sign that we all got to see. First thing I saw on Raw, Wei. Again, was, I, I have to thank our friends Bill and Alex. This was another show in Florida, and uh, poor Bill like stood up this, this whole time. He was rocking his post-wrestling shirt, getting this up there. So thank you, Bill. Uh, appreciate it a lot. Angle comes out and he says it's going to be a historic night tonight because of Ronda's match. And unlike some other former UFC champions, she doesn't have a problem competing on Raw. No one has to beg her. Ronda's a champion in his book, like all the other performers that show up each week, unlike Brock. Brock has no class and Corbin tries to stop him from running him down. Angle informs everyone that Paul Heyman's job is intact. Whatever that means. So he's technically, I guess, on the outs with Brock Lesnar, but he still has a job with the WWE doing something. Sure. Okay. He's going to be interviewed later tonight, and he goes to address Lesnar attacking him when Roman Reigns interrupts. Reigns, again, emphasizing he has a lot of respect for Kurt Angle, which seems to be a a specific direction they've given Roman Reigns to be respectful towards Kurt Angle. And disrespectful to Baron. Yes. yes, yes. And then Roman said, with a straight face, which I don't think I can do. If you kick the big dog out, who's going to protect the yard? He said this as a serious question that he was asking Angle, who had him removed from the building last week. If you kick the big dog out, who's going to protect the yard? Mm, yeah, well, he lives as a metaphor, maybe. Um he- <laughs> If this was 1995, he would be coming out on a leash. Like, he would be a big dog. I don't think the junkyard dog ever would have said a line like that, though. (laughs) He would deliver it way better if he had to. Yeah. And then uh, he says that Corbin just stood and watched like a coward last week. Angle says no one liked what Lesnar did. Nobody from the top down. And Reigns thinks that they're going to suspend Lesnar, but Angle stepped in and he made sure that Lesnar will not be suspended. Reigns is going to get his match. And then Angle adds, I just hope you kick his ass. And Corbin calls this unprofessional. Angle says he could have acted like a man last week and says that Stephanie, Corbin says that Stephanie runs the show. Angle is just the matchmaker. So Angle then decides I'm going to make a match. Reigns versus Corbin. And the audience cheered pretty loudly for this. Um, Baron Corbin played the foil tonight for Roman Reigns, and it seemed that not all of the audience, but a good portion of them, uh, sided here behind Roman. Well, I think Corbin, 
is like very dislikable. Um, and I think it, Roman like being uh, uh, um, written to just uh, constantly bully. I don't even want to say bully, but like the 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 attacking of Baron Corbin for no reason is something that I think is really helping Roman get over as a babyface because I think Baron Corbin typically has been a bully, and when you bully a bully, you end up looking like a hero. So I think the the audience is all for Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin and beating up Baron Corbin. So last week Raw had um, you know very good viewership by 2018 standards, and clearly the key to all of this was. Baron Corbin and long matches to start the show, which oh, is God. what we got here. Roman and Baron. Uh, this went uh, only two minutes less than last week's match. So in two weeks way, you have watched 38 minutes of Baron Corbin. Oh, yeah. Wow. I, I could have sworn it was longer. Uh, Cole is pushing that SummerSlam could be Roman Reigns' final chance at the Universal title. Corbin was in control with my... I, I think we should add some new uh, year-end awards way mm-hmm. i want to i want to introduce worst maneuver we always get best maneuver my worst maneuver is this half nelson deal that corbin does where he extends the arm and then he puts his hand and cups the chin of roman reigns he probably did this for 12 of the 18 minutes of this match i'm, I'm all for guys like using uh variations of the rear chin lock and this appears to be kind of baron corbin's you know down B button rear chin lock move. Um, but yeah, he uses it way too much. And I think for way too long, this goes back to my nephew's criticism of the guy. You can't use the same move twice in the span of uh, two minutes or whatever he said. So, uh, in this is in general, was just too long. These rest holds. Can we get an update on your nephew's wrestling viewing over uh, the past week? Are you was kidding there any- me? He bailed like after oh. one week, he, he was not sticking around for this. What about the G one? Uh, I watch that in the morning, and he he goes to like a summer camp here, so I don't actually get to watch it with him. But I I feel like he would actually quite enjoy that. Reigns began to fight back. You know how I knew that the momentum was shifting way. Michael Cole informed me, "You can feel the momentum. <laughs> the big dog is going to hunt." <laughs> oh my god! And then he proceeded to hit the drive by. Mm-hmm. He took out a gun and just shot everybody. Uh, Corbin strikes from the floor, ran through a second commercial break. Uh, Reigns signaled for the Superman punch. Again, Michael Cole on fire tonight. Roman Reigns locked and loaded. And he gets stopped, is hit with the deep six. And coach just notes, they've been going, what, 20 minutes? Incredible stuff. And Reigns is rallying the crowd. Corbin rolls to the floor. He's walking up the ramp. He teases the count out. When Finn Balor comes out, who Michael Cole identifies as, the guy he calls Little. And Graves gave further context. The tiny Irishman. This little midget. Finn Balor. And Reigns uh, gets him back into the ring. Spears Corbin and wins. And Michael Cole gets in his line. That had to feel sweet for Finn Balor. Yes. Thanks. All, t- all said, the audience was into this. Uh, this was a significantly better match than last week. That said, Baron Corbin for 18 minutes is still Baron Corbin for 18 minutes. And Michael Cole for 18 minutes is also uh, taxing. Yeah, I just feel like Baron is still way too limited in ring to take up three entire segments on an an edition of Raw. Um, Like, there were times where I felt like we saw the same match 
two times within this match. Like same same moves, same same sequences, just two times. So I would have given this maybe two segments at most, ideally one. Uh, if you were looking to tell the story they were looking to tell, I I think you know maybe the key you're you're kind of joking about Baron Corbin. Maybe the, the what they do want is having Roman appear on most of these segments to pop that viewership. I suppose. I just wish there were more creative ways of doing it than to just have them take up time in the ring, which is what this match felt like. So Balor enters after Roman leaves and nails him with the drop kick and coup de gras, and later on they would announce Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin. At SummerSlam. It's going to be a long night on August 19th. Do we get the demon? There was no tease of it tonight. I guess maybe next week they'll, they should tip their hand if mm-hmm. they're going to go that direction. It, it certainly wasn't teased tonight, though there wasn't a whole lot of Finn Balor on this show outside of this. Uh, we went to a break with some live shots of Ronda getting ready for her match and Bobby Roode just smiling. The official theme song for SummerSlam is going to be Sweet Sensation by Flo Rida. Uh, okay, how is it? I, I completely tune out for all this stuff, so I don't even notice. How is this song? I think they sample good vibrations in it. Okay. Yeah. So that, right. that's that's my report on, on that song. Maybe you can uh, give it a listen before August 19th. God knows we're going to hear it uh, over and over over the next two weeks. They recap the Ziggler feud with Rollins and the two-on-one attack last week. So Angle meets with Rollins, and Rollins got his words mixed up. He was trying to say that every time I get an advantage on Dolph or something to that effect, instead it came out saying, every time I get a beat on Dolph, uh, he says he needs to eliminate Drew McIntyre, and whenever he gets that chance, Ziggler's the one to jump in. So Angle suggests find a partner tonight and face him in a tag match. And Rollins just says, yeah, cool. Tag match. Bobby Roode versus Mojo Raleigh. This started off with Jonathan Coachman stating that over the last month, Raleigh has really found his mojo. Raleigh was drop kicked off the apron. That was our commercial break. We came back. Mojo applied the longest waist lock I have ever observed in my entire viewing of professional wrestling. Mojo kept asking him, do you feel glorious? And coach is asking how many, how much Bobby has left. I had very little left in this match. Uh, Rude then hits him with a clothesline and a blockbuster. This was after the waist lock of death. So coach and Graves thought this was a really bad idea for Rude to hit a blockbuster, affecting his bad back from this long rest hold, uh, which then Rude followed up by uh, turning a, he was lifted up onto Mojo's shoulders, turned it into the glorious DDT. Apparently it wasn't a bad decision because Bobby beat Mojo clean. One, two, three. What a yeah. feud. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. Like, I just, I don't that, have that, that much that to was, say. That was the absolute perfect description and reaction to this match. Dude, was I just... Blank, blank, nothing. I don't have that much to say about any of this. Like, I didn't think the match really was all that inspiring. Uh, characters, for all the airtime they've given uh, Mojo and even Bobby Roode, um, I feel like he... Eh, something just isn't clicking, you know? Um, something just not, isn't isn't working with Mojo. And it showed with this crowd reaction, because this crowd, as hard as they were for that opening segment, they were pretty dead for this. Uh, I would just kind of chalk it up to characters and stakes that no one really cares about. 
Yeah, and I don't know. It just if this is the beginning of this program, I don't know. It just seemed like you were building up Mojo. He loses clean here. Like I was done with this feud two minutes into this match. I really liked the brawl last week. Um, but I suppose I needed a bit more to really kind of uh, sink my teeth into in terms of story and before seeing the match. And maybe, maybe Mike Canellis could have shot this match from a different angle. I would have been more into it. Maybe, but I mean, I suppose this. I do feel like this will continue because it. Feels oh, I like, definitely think it will. Yeah, it, it just feels like too quick of a, of a write off of of what they were trying to build. But at the same time, I just didn't really get much of a sense of any type of build. Nor did I come out of this segment more interested in what they were building too. Yes, it's our 2018 undercard feud that just goes on for so long that you're just wondering when is it done. And this is the start of this never ending feud that will probably go at least a month. Elias was in his locker room and he's got a documentary team following him around because he doesn't believe the WWE network did a good enough job on his documentary. Uh, I will say for the double shot this week, I actually sat down on Monday afternoon and I thought maybe I should watch this thing. Maybe because I wasn't super inspired by any of the TV I watched three minutes in. I just was like, no, I'm not. doing Really? This. I've heard good <laughs> things. Actually, I'm sure it's fine. I was just not in the mood to watch this. And it was, you know, him doing like regular, like mainstream interviews in character. I was like, I'm not watching 38 minutes of this. I just, life is too short. I, I'm not doing this. Okay. So I'm sorry. Might be more my territory, it sounds like. Well, it's it's up there. It's 38 minutes if you care to watch it. And the fact that you've heard good things, um, maybe I should have given it more of a chance. But anyway, Elias is in the ring. He plugs his album, which we are not going to do. He says that he's changing life on a daily basis, and some of the biggest names in music are afraid of what he's done. He topped the charts with only four songs, and then he talks about how the WWE Network got his documentary all wrong and tells the documentary crew to orbit around him like he's the center of the WWE Universe and tells one of the cameramen that they're really slow, just like Bobby Lashley, who didn't even know the lyrics to Rockin' Robin last week. Just have to remind me of that. I'm wondering if this is the same film crew that edited out Lashley singing from the YouTube uh, upload last week. I can't believe that. Like, they completely cut that portion out entirely. It was a nice edit, too. Now, do you think they would have edited that out regardless because it was a commercial song? Or do you feel it was... Because uh, I'm more of the latter, that it was just... It was so awful that they got rid of it. Could they get flagged on YouTube for Bobby Lashley's rendition of Rockin' Robin? Uh, that's well, a very re- re- interesting question. Remember when the New Day, they once did a Jay-Z song of some sort, uh, and they were reprimanded for that. But oh. I don't think... I don't know if they ever edited that out. Oh, They're God. very sensitive when it comes to music. But I'll say, like... If YouTube's music, copywritten music algorithm machines are able to catch that rendition of Rockin' Robin and flag that as a video with copyright infringement, man, YouTube and Google are, are doing something incredible. Because that rendition of Rockin' Robin... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sad. I'm sad more people who don't regularly watch Raw won't get to see that anymore. I'm sure that... uh. Bobby Day would want that segment to live in infamy so people can know how his song was immortalized by Bobby Lashley last yeah. week. Be like, no, 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 keep it. Uh, then we go, uh, we continue on. Elias was very entertaining here, I thought, yes, playing I, off I of the, the documentary crew. And yeah. it just felt like a lot of like just ad-libbing and stuff that he was 
very natural. He's, he's great at, at all yes. this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said that the documentary crew, he was upset because, well, first, um, after he mocks Bobby Lashley, uh, he goes on to tell the the producers to use their CGI to blur the, the audience out or just crop them out to insert another audience and just do whatever so you I can forget them in Jacksonville. And this audience was livid. They were so upset that he would show such disgust for their city. This was like significant heat he got for this line. I think more often than not, it tends to work. Yeah. So Lashley comes out and he's upset that Elias's Elias uttered his name. Mm-hmm. This coming a month after uh, Roman Reigns was continually just calling this guy Bob. But now this is too much for him. Lashley compliments his documentary. Elias says, well, I came off egotistical. And then Elias says that Bobby's entire comeback has been a joke. And this prompted Lashley to call his boots a joke, his guitar, his bracelets, his scarf, his album. Everything about you is a freaking joke. And the next time my name comes out of your mouth, it won't be a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some intense uh, words here from Bobby well, Lashley. I, I actually thought his delivery, yeah, was very impassioned. And I feel like he did really good with this material. It is kind of tough to take seriously, though, because this the whole rivalry feels like comedy. I mean, most things with Elias just kind of feel like they're comedy because his promo style is, is I think, so much like, yeah, almost like kind of a low-card comedic heel that you really love to boo. You find a lot of fun to watch, but you don't necessarily really hate. And lastly, I guess I just felt like he was doing the best he could here, trying to turn this into something more serious. Um, but it's it's sort of tough with Elias. What is what is the main issue Bobby Lashley has with Elias? Because well, wasn't it Bobby's just interrupted this guy even when he was trying to promote his album that even was last the, week? That was the inciting incident. Was that I think Lashley was just happened to be coming out, right? And he just happened to come out and interrupt uh, Elias. Since then, Elias took that as a major um, insult and has been kind of picking on Lashley. Trying to uh, mention him in in his songs. Like, I think the whole crux of this was that Bobby Lashley was made fun of for messing up the lyrics to Rock and Robin. No, that came after. Well, tonight he came out and said, My name came out of your mouth. And it was in reference to the Rock and Robin thing. It was like a throwaway line that Elias used. That was the only time he mentioned Lashley, was he didn't know the lyrics. I hope he doesn't listen to our podcast then. He might be showing up here. Uh, Go Tamatonga on us. So Elias goes to leave with the documentary team when he tosses a clipboard at the mixed martial arts heavyweight and then attacks him. And Bobby then just hits him with a spine buster. And the two guys come in from the documentary and start shooting him as he takes a delayed vertical suplex. So this week... At least Lashley got some offense in on Elias, and uh, I feel like you know last week he really did didn't need that because like he just came out here, sang Rock and Robin, and then just got beaten up. It made him look awful, so he gets a bit of a comeback. But this then, week. but last week he made his comeback. Remember after the guitar attack or whatever it was that he hit him with, he came back and he was standing tall. Lashley, yes, I thought he just remember, got laid out. Remember we talked about this last week that Graves started laughing after he hit him. 
And then afterwards, Lashley just made his own comeback on him. Man, I, you're going to make me want to go back and rewatch that, and I have no desire to. You could be right. You could be. I've got my notes here from last week. We have Elias in the ring, and Lashley comes back, hits him with a belly-to-belly, sends Elias to the floor. That's oh. how the segment ended last week. Okay. Um, so, so Lashley is 2-0 and in these segments so far, but God, I need to see a match at the end of this just to make sure Bobby Lashley uh, can reign supreme. This is, Dude, this is going to be a really long undercard of SummerSlam with matches like this filling up. Finn Balor and Baron Corbin, Lashley against Elias. Like There will be some long matches on this show. Uh, well, a major problem really is the fact that, that it's Raw's just been, for whatever reason, doing a much worse job of building its matches than SmackDown. Um, I can't say I'm not looking forward to the SmackDown matches because I think you read to me the list of SmackDown undercard matches and I'm much more excited for those. Seth Rollins was in the locker room. Tyler Breeze entered and offered to be his tag partner, and they could be CrossFit Breezes. Not bad. He puts his fist out, and Roman walks in, laughs off Tyler, and says that he's got Rollins back tonight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Razor. A- anything to add on this, uh, this segment backstage as Tyler Breeze just continues to... Uh, I guess hang out in the locker room. Breezes, I think, is a great name. I think you should just run with that and like do some type of Kanye Eagle Maniac type of gimmick. Yeah, uh, Breezes could could definitely work for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Bre- Breezes Christ could have been their tag team. Could meld oh, them all okay. together. Yeah. Razor took on Titus O'Neil. Um, Graves noted how big Razor's hands are. That when you shake his hand, it's like shaking a bundle of bananas. Interesting. Interesting. That's a that's a really weird hand. Hmm. That's a very uh, descriptive um, 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 a metaphor. Titus fired up for his comeback, got distracted with Akum, and then ran into a boot from Razar and a spinebuster. Razar pinned him three minutes three seconds. Really basic. Really pretty dull wrestling. That. Just doesn't cut it for me in 2018. Like, I don't know if this match would have cut it even in 1996, you know? I I guess, like, this segment is worth watching if you are big fans of either Titus or Razor, or if you personally know either of them. Um, what I will say is that, like, they make brief mention of all the great Samaritan work uh, Titus did yes. this past week. Yes. And I wish they would focus more on that, you know, in the same way they would maybe dedicate a, a documentary crew to uh, some type of PR screening. I, I think this aspect of Titus is not really shown off enough on their TV because I think it's that type of stuff that'll legitimately get this guy over as a babyface if they really wanted to. So, um, but it's not really their efforts. You know, it's like the Sami Zayn thing. It's not really their efforts, so they won't necessarily recognize it. And you also have to wonder how much they necessarily want all of that attention on, on the kind of stuff they do on their own. Um Maybe mean? they do, but maybe they also uh, just in terms of you know a WWE camera crew coming and and, and oh, showcasing okay. them doing all this stuff that maybe that's that's kind of not their mindset of they're, why they do that type of thing. Wait, they're pretty public with it though on their Twitter. Like like Titus and Sammy are both pretty public with, with all that stuff though. In the end, it's just, it's to get the word message out, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. Kevin Owens is backstage with Jinder Mahal and Sunil. They plug the return of the Kevin Owens show and. Then we come back, and the Kevin Owens show, it's set up to the side of the entrance, and they're they're seated, and Jinder is out, 
Kevin calls him his own personal guru, and Owen says that most people see a monster that cannot be beaten, but him and Jinder have beaten Braun over the last two weeks, although he won a grueling cage match while Jinder only won by countout. And he's going to beat Braun at SummerSlam to become KO in the bank, finally reclaim his Universal Championship because he's never been the same since losing the title, and suggests that Jinder face Braun again tonight, and he calls out Braun, who doesn't come out, and then the stage starts shaking, and from underneath, Braun emerges, tipping over the platform with the three of them on it, and they fall down to the floor. I really like that visual of like uh, Braun flipping over that, that set. I mean, first of all, I think the fact that they had a set, uh, and the fact that it was happening not in the ring, but in the stage area, like they're kind of old school, you know, um, uh, sh- um, like Piper's Pit and all that stuff would take place. I thought that was really cool. But to, to realize that it was all a setup for this Braun Strowman stunt, I thought it was a great idea. What was Braun doing under there? Maybe he just Did snuck he- snuck on under there. He's like really fast and he crawled down. He's got to have a, f- a friend in the writer's room that gave him a format. True. knew what was coming up tonight. And he had this whole plan in mind to get himself under there because he knew what would be happening at that exact time. And he would emerge. Maybe he just hung out there all night long. Very, very, very possible. Yeah. This did lead into a match. I thought the highlight was Owens trying to motivate Jinder to gain revenge on him for destroying his set and then yelling Shanti at Jinder Mahal. Uh, they teased the same thing from last week where Owens grabbed the briefcase. Strowman went to chase after him, but then returned and then grabbed the briefcase again, ran up the ramp. Jinder runs up. He's hit with the briefcase and he's disqualified at a minute 47. And then Braun, in order to outsmart the heels, announced that at SummerSlam, he's bringing in his own personal referee, Red Shoes, to ensure (laughs) that he will not be counted out or disqualified so that he cannot lose his briefcase. Dude, I thought the same thing watching this. And I mean, again, I've been trying. I don't know if you could tell. I've been trying to be uh, to not kind of confuse my New Japan viewing with my WWE viewing on this on this show, because. It certainly watching the G one certainly affects my viewing of some of these matches. However, I try to to, to not. By the way, can you hear that rain? Uh, a little bit. It is pouring outside. Anyway, oh, wow. So excuse me, everybody. It's it's raining really hard. Anyway, so what what I'm trying to say is I've been trying to watch these shows in a vacuum and not necessarily let one you know uh, confuse the other. However, I, that, I'm only human, and and that can only affect me so much. So, but in this case. I have to say, after seeing how inconsistent the bullshit DQs have been in the G1, I found it so refreshing to see something like this, <laughs> to see Braun Strowman inadvertently hit Kevin Owens on the floor with the Money in the Bank briefcase, getting him DQ'd. The rules here make sense. The DQs make sense. A man gets attacked with a uh, 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 foreign object on the, fo- on the floor. He gets DQ'd because that's how rules should work. So I'll say the WWE keeps its credibility of, of, of their officials so high. In fact, like I heard Cody say like in, in one of those uh, old being the elite Q&As, he mentioned how at one time the WWE went as far as giving the referees a bonus for counting three counts if a wrestler takes too long to kick out at two. So they respect their credibility of their officials that much to do something like that. Whereas... Man, like it, it is really glaring seeing how perfect some of the presentation of New Japan is, but to see like really glaring gaps in logic, like like some of the refereeing there. So I, I have to, you know, uh, try to be fair here. 
No, and I think it's a completely valid point because I think the officiating it's it's been a consistent issue. It's not as though it just popped up this summer, but you took a really glaring criticism of New Japan and you have exploited it in this G1. You have made it such a big like purposeful focus uh, of the G1. And, and to me, it's been the biggest negative of what's otherwise been a fantastic tournament. But that, to me, is the easy, hands-down low point of this tournament. Uh, so anyway, Sunil tried grabbing the briefcase afterwards and then tossed it back to Braun, and he was laid out with a boot. So they're very much playing up that Braun can lose this thing by just screwing up and not thinking uh, against Kevin Owens and just teasing the idea of him losing the briefcase, which... I guess theoretically you could have him lose it without pinning him and just do some some silly switch. But anyway, that is uh I guess a lot of people are looking at that match as per- perhaps having repercussions on the main event outcome as well. So that's kind of the interest in Braun Strowman and Kevin Owens at SummerSlam. They certainly need to give you some reason to think that Kevin Owens has a chance this time after losing to Braun and getting embarrassed by Braun so many times in the past. So, you know, while I don't necessarily think making your monster look weak is, 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 eh, it's risky, let's just say. Uh, I, I do think if they choose to do another Braun versus Owens match, you kind of have to do stuff like this to, to make Owens, to give Braun a reason to beat up Owens again. Yeah. And I mean, they're not going to make Owens or present him as Braun's equal. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just not what they do with that Braun character. Corbin's on the phone with Stephanie, hands it over to Angle. She delivers bad news. Way, there are many uh, sports outlets out there like the NFL, HBO, Major League Baseball, ESPN, the NHL. You know what they all have in common? They don't have as many Instagram followers as the almighty WWE. As Michael Cole noted, well, Instagram's going to be lighting up in two weeks for SummerSlam. That's That's a plug. That's a pro in Michael Cole. Yeah, yeah. Good. In, Good for Instagram. Them. Yeah. yeah. 15, 15 million. They, 15 million followers. Does that really sound all that impressive? I guess it is. Uh, I think Because so. it's more. 15 million is, is a lot. Like, I don't know how many. Um, yeah. It, it's, I, it's a lot. I'm thinking of Twitter, where oh. someone like Dwayne Johnson has 11 million followers on his own. This is the entirety of the WWE, where they count every performer. Right. Well, no, no, just... no, they don't do that, do they? I thought it was just... Yes, the... they do. Oh, absolutely. So, it, so it's not just the company account? No, of course not, dude. Like, me... look at the WWE's one account. Okay, let me see their account. I have to know this. Can they do that? So then can Major League Baseball count every single Major League Baseball player? Or the NBA? I don't know how they derive these stats like they use. They didn't even... Sometimes they use an actual, like, poll service. No, no, they... no, no, John. WWE has 15 million followers. On Instagram? Yes. Well, then the the Facebook it's not the Facebook. On Twitter they have used uh they've they've combined them. Okay. Like when they do their quarterly reports and stuff and they go through their social media metrics, like it's combinations of everything that is a company account. Gotcha. Well like, okay, fifty million is, is very impressive is what I mean. But before we even go on, can I can I talk about the great Instagram find of the week? As it relates oh. to professional wrestling, please everybody follow at the real Kurt Angle. And John, are you familiar with what the Kiki challenge is? I am. Did okay. he try this? <laughs> he tried it. 
without knowing that he was trying it because his wife. What? <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Please go. Kurt Angle forced to do Kiki no. Challenge after being locked out of car. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, his wife basically uh, locked Kurt outside of their car in a storm and started playing this song in the car as she started driving slowly away. And Kurt Angle's just like walking along with the car. He doesn't know what's okay, going okay. on. Okay, there's, there's, oh, okay, if everyone's watching this, there is a point, it's exactly at the nine second mark where he goes from like kind of funny to, okay, I'm pissed off right now. It is just great. Like, Ronda Rousey comments on this. Sasha Banks comments on this. It, it's... Uh, anyway, so great job, um, Kurt Angle's wife. That's the best thing I've watched today. That's worth 15 million followers, oh I would say. Oh, my God. What a... Oh, that's so good. He's. There was also a video I watched of him on Instagram where he... He's reading off... It's so obvious he's reading off, like, the matches to announce for Raw. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's just like he's clearly got the script in front of him and he's just like reading it uh from his dashboard in his car which i guess he's probably commandeered now and not allowed his wife in it, it is quite fun to see it for sure. yeah it's quite fun to see these like middle-aged men try to use social media because they're it's part of their jobs now i'm sure oh well this instagram stat was all worth the detour Corey graves did a sit down with roman reigns Brock Lesnar's camp declined his request for an interview. And they go over their history going back to WrestleMania 31 in 2015. And they focused on Seth Rollins cashing in and Roman stating that Lesnar didn't beat him. But interesting here that they were teasing Reigns and Rollins teaming up. And then we have this callback to Rollins ruining this guy's life for the next three years because he screwed up this match outcome. Well, people change. You know, people change. Look at what Roman's gone through the last four years, and maybe it all could have been avoided if he won the title that night. They cut to WrestleMania 34 this year, and Reigns acknowledging that Lesnar got the best of me. And then we go to the greatest Royal Rumble, where he spears Lesnar through the cage, and Reigns believes he was the true winner that night. And they show highlights of last week, including a close-up of Heyman being choked by Lesnar, and Heyman telling him, Brock, I can't breathe. And then they showed, I mean, th this was a very heavily produced uh, segment here with Reigns interview where they're, they're showing highlights of headlines of Lesnar challenging Daniel Cormier. There was a backstage segment last week where Lesnar walks to the back after the final segment and he grabs Mike Rome by the throat. A lot of throat grabbing in wrestling these days. And Reigns says he's going to fight every night when he wins the title and defend it against everyone. And he says, I have to win. You can always tell, like, when they take a feud seriously, when they do these type of sit-down interviews. I, I suppose, like, Bobby Lashley uh, sisters being an, an exception, I guess. But uh, most of the time, when they do these sit-down interviews, you know it's for something that they want to really succeed. So, uh, I like the video, I thought. I think video is just a great medium to help sell propaganda. And if you're going to try to push something that the audience might not necessarily want, do it with triumphant music behind your your storytelling and you know have roman say very heroic lines like uh i'll keep getting up because i have to win i have to win that's what vince has told me multiple times this year 
and I hope that the third time is the charm. When, he really when does. Did, wouldn't this be the fourth time? Well, I'm saying third time this year. Oh, okay. You're right. Overall, this would be the fourth attempt at this uh, Roman Reigns coronation, which... Four times the charm, yes. My God, if the day of the show, they feel, let's surprise everybody, I don't know. It could happen. This guy really does need to win win this match, but it could totally happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Rollins and Reigns are walking backstage. Angle and Corbin stop them, and they inform them that Stephanie is not going to allow Reigns to be in another match tonight and jeopardize the main event of SummerSlam. So Reigns says, well, I don't care what Stephanie says. And then they inform him that if he defies her orders, he forfeits his match at SummerSlam. Rollins says, eh, I'll figure this out. And Corbin is laughing at Rollins. And Reigns says, I forgot to ask, are your ribs okay? And Reigns just blasts him in the ribs with a punch as Kurt Angle smirks at Baron Corbin. I kind of like this ending. To this I really one. like this. I really I thought liked, this was funny. I really love Roman being a dick to Baron Corbin. I mean, and it, again, it's important that he doesn't do this to everybody. Certainly not to people that are considered likable to you know the this wrestling audience. Like if Roman was treating even like ah uh, I don't know somebody like an Elias who's mildly uh, accepted by 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 you know most fans. I think I think he would come across like a real bully himself. But the fact that he's doing it to Baron Corbin. Somebody that nobody likes. Nobody. Whether you're you're a smart fan or non-smart fan, nobody likes Baron Corbin. Kind of makes Roman look like a hero. So I, I, I do think it continues to make him look pretty cool. So it ended up being a handicap match with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre against Seth Rollins. The crowd began with a We Want Ambrose chant, but no Dean Ambrose. Uh, they were in control of Rollins. Uh, they were tagging in and out. Ziggler finally misses in the corner, crotching himself. Rollins goes to the floor, yanks Drew down so Ziggler can't tag out, and then Drew is run into the post, and Rollins makes his comeback. He hits a suicide dive, springboard clothesline. Ziggler then gets out of the way of a stomp, and Ziggler is taken into the corner with a buckle bomb, but when he hits the buckle, he tags Drew, who comes in and attacks Rollins. And then, in a very important tag, Ziggler is tagged back in. And Rollins avoids taking their double-team finish. He's super-kicked by Ziggler, and Dolph pins him. Seven minutes, seven seconds, and the announcers go crazy that Ziggler wasn't the legal man and that this was controversial. Nope. Ziggler was the clean man who pinned Seth Rollins clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they were like hitting, that, hitting on that so hard suggests that it might have been a direction from the back to... Uh, and that, like, everybody in the back was probably confused about this. Well, the the announcers, it ultimately, I mean, they missed this. And they missed, like, a pretty yep. key part of the match. Mm-hmm. And kind of just devised this own, like, they devised a story to protect Rollins. But the match wasn't laid out to be that. I mean, you already had him uh, outnumbered. So this was just, you know, the left hand not knowing what the right was doing. Yeah, unfortunate, unfortunate. Um, So... No Ambrose here, uh, despite the chance. I, I do feel like the crowd kind of set themselves for disappointment. However, I mean, you see an angle like this. It really does lead you to think into that direction. And uh, I believe Mike Johnson reported today that Dean Ambrose could be returning anytime. So I I feel like they're I feel like that's the ultimate outcome for this storyline. And, you know, they were trying to, again, further build that anticipation for, for Dean Ambrose with 
um, Ziggler and McIntyre winning here. It, it makes sense they would do that. I think they're just so heavy-handed that the crowd is already jumping to that conclusion before the company is ready to give it out. Could you see them next week? Would you have Dean show up next week? Or you could do something where Rollins says, I'm coming to SummerSlam, but I'm not coming alone. But then you also have to somehow, for Rollins to choose a partner, he's giving up a title match, which is kind of strange here. Oh, yeah, because that match is already booked, isn't it? So it then maybe it as a title match. Yeah, so then maybe you do McIntyre versus Ambrose then. Um, you, could, you could do the deal where you announce he's going for the title, but he's going to have somebody in his corner on Sunday, and it's not a tag match. Yeah, I guess so. But then, I mean, I guess, I guess you'd be saving the Dean Ambrose match for something else. I don't know if having Ambrose in a corner is, is, is that big of a, of a draw for SummerSlam. Yeah, it's just, it's an appearance. I personally, I really hope that Dean coming back is leading to a heel turn for him. I think that guy desperately needs it when he comes back. He can come back as a babyface, yeah. but it should be ultimately to set up a turn on Rollins, Reigns, or both. Absolutely, yeah. But I think to start, he he should be siding with Rollins here. So maybe he can just show up at SummerSlam, get the SummerSlam pop, and go from there. Um, it's possible they could do that. Uh, it's certainly leaning in that direction. But I'm I, I'm just looking at it on paper. What is more attractive to you? Another Seth Rollins-Dolph Ziggler match or seeing Seth Rollins team with Dean Ambrose taking on McIntyre and Ziggler? Yeah, I think you could do the tag match. It would be more interesting. It's just how you get there with one show left and just getting around this. That yeah. You've announced this title match, and it's ultimately Rollins is the one who has to gain this tag partner and give up a title match as a result. Mm-hmm. Then we had a video, the highlights of Alicia Fox 10 years with the WWE. A decade of dominance, a decade of destruction. <laughs> wow, 10 years. The B team came out. They have new entrance music that goes B team, B team, go, go, go. I love it. I think, I think, I think this is definitely going to lead to it like easy to chant along with. During matches. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think the new music suits them so much better. I appreciate that they noticed that there was something off about that music that they had, which I think, you know, is is decent music, but it just doesn't suit the gimmick. They're a team of underachievers with cheap t-shirts, cheap victories. It only makes sense that they would have cheap sounding music as well. So I, I love the change. It sounded like CFOs, and if it is them, good job again. I'm watching this Kurt Angle video again. <laughs> it's great. Uh, the B team versus the Revival. Non-title match. The Revival had to do a selfie promo. They called the division full of magicians, like the deleters of worlds who appear out of thin air, and they're going to make the B team's winning streak magically disappear. I'm not going to get into this match. It went about three minutes, and then the lights went out, and then with... Uh, Bo Dallas and Scott Dawson in the ring, reaching for their tag partners. Bray and Matt appeared in the opposite corners. And then everyone fought. The match was thrown out in three minutes and eight seconds. And Dallas was laid out with a sister, Abigail Dawson with a twist of fate and Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt posed over top of them. And rather than a SummerSlam title match, they announced a three-way tag title match for next Monday in Greensboro. Yeah. Great. Awesome. 
I mean, like by by just throwing this match out out like that, you're telling me I shouldn't care about this matchup anyway. You know, like you gave me three minutes of the revival versus the B team, and you threw out that match with the nothing DQ finish because you're assuming that I probably didn't care about this match anyway. Are you trying to think that I would care about this match when you insert Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy in it? Because I don't, I don't think that equation works out. Like I still don't care. I I don't really know how I should feel about mm, Bray and Matt at the moment. You know, they've shown themselves at this point to be sore losers. They've attacked the B team after losing to them clean. And then now they run in and they interrupt a match that they had nothing to do with. So, like, if I'm looking at this on paper, they're clear heels. Uh, And that means the only people that I have to cheer for are the B team. And, man, again, they work for some people. They just don't work for me. I just, I think the this... Uh, this tag team feud in the end it's just not a sexy matchup and the storyline isn't there to make up for the lack of in ring so i just can't get get excited for it well they've got a tag slot uh reserved for the raw side at SummerSlam, and i guess the authors of pain and titus worldwide are going to occupy that that tag slot maybe not this so we got bigger things to sorry at SummerSlam, to. you don't think they'll have a match no i'm, I'm joking i don't oh. know I, I don't know what's going to be at SummerSlam. I have these guys will have e- a match. Yeah, sure. Then we have Paul Heyman getting mic'd for his sit down interview with Renee Young. And this man, do you want to describe Paul Heyman and his uh, appearance? So he starts off this interview again, sit down interview it means they care everybody. <laughs> yes. So Paul Heyman is sitting down here. He's looking down he, as Renee is asking him his first question. He's looking down. So you can't necessarily see into Paul's eyes. He lifts his head up to answer the questions, and his eyes are bloodshot. He's been crying, you can tell. Like, this is Paul Heyman at some of his best. Like, he's digging deep into method acting to, to do this sit-down interview. And you can already tell this is going to be awesome. Do you know how hard it is for me to go outside where I haven't shaved and I've just got, like, uh, it just is, like, an awful start to my day if I don't do that. And this guy, this was like two days worth, at least, on his face sure. for, the, for this yeah. interview. Yeah. This man is at a different level than most in this profession. Mm-hmm. Renee is there and asks about Brock. And Paul says he doesn't know where they stand because Brock has disconnected his phone, which I immediately just imagine Brock calling up AT&T and announcing that this landline that he's had, this one uh, rotary dial phone he's got in the woods, cut it out. I don't want to have any more connection to the world. He hasn't spoken to Brock. And then Paul becomes aware of his surroundings and says, you know, Brock's not going to like this. Me speaking in a public forum about a private matter. And he starts crying. He's He's whimpering about his own children being friends with Brock's kids and that he doesn't let anyone close to his family. And he's almost just, he's like trailing off, thinking out loud, stating how they always spoke of riding off in the sunset together, Brock holding the Universal and UFC titles while Heyman would stand behind him, proclaiming him uh, to be the reigning and defending champion. Renee asks if Brock still needs Heyman. And Paul can't answer that and just gets quiet. 
he can't believe this. He says, a week ago, this was so inconceivable. And he's asked about finding a new client. He says, how can I just go to somebody else? Like they're interchangeable. And Renee's final question is, who's going to win between Brock and Roman? And Heyman says that I have never seen Brock like this in 16 years. I've never seen him so violent. Roman Reigns does not stand a chance against this version of Brock. I will say this. There is no other promo on Raw that stands against this version of Paul Heyman. This was incredible. It, it was awesome. A great performance. Like It feels like Paul is putting extra, extra effort into his performances here. Taking this and last week very seriously. And I wonder what necessarily th- that reason might be. Could it be because this is this could be one of his last appearances, or at least maybe one of his last appearances for a long time, and this is his chance to prove his market value for the next time he wants to get a job with the WWE? I don't know. I'm not sure. But whatever the reason, he is he is going the extra mile for these performances, and he was great here. Like I love that he didn't directly answer any of Renee's questions he simply reacted to them whether it was with facial expressions or with more questions thrown at Renee all in response to just all fitting the 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 mental state of this character that he's he's portraying right now it was just also convincing it's kind of stuff like this that makes me wish Raw really wasn't three hours because by the end of Raw we've seen so much stuff and the whole show gets so watered down that like we we lose these gems, you know, gems like this uh, by the end of, of a three hour show, we just kind of forget. But like you put this on a two hour show or even a one hour show. And man, like we, we would probably be talking about it a lot more. So anyway, just great. Please go out and, and watch this. He was fantastic. Like, I don't know what he conjured up to get this performance. in. I remember one of these interviews he did a long time ago. It was similar to this where he wore it was either the same tie he wore to his father's funeral or it was actually his father's tie mm. that he put on yes. just to take his head to that space mm-hmm. to cry. Like that's the level that Paul Heyman is thinking at that. I mean, this felt like he was trying to envision uh, like a spouse leaving someone after 30 years of marriage. That's what he felt like here where he's being asked, oh, are you going to remarry? And he can't even conceive of that. He is completely broken from this loss of Brock Lesnar. I'd love to hear like the behind the scenes. I believe like was it you who did that interview with with Heyman when he revealed that, John? About the tie? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Okay, sorry, but whatever. I hope to hear somebody ask Paul Heyman, "Hey, what exactly was going through your head when you're doing this?" Because I thought this was certainly up there with that one. Yeah, it was just tremendous stuff. And I'll say this, and I'll even include the rain sit down. And by the end of this one, this main event felt very important. And by the end of it, they really made this feel as Roman Reigns winning this match is so important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a part of me that thinks there's nothing that they can do to alter that crowd's reaction that night, which is going to be unfortunate. But you cannot say that they have just thrown in the towel. They are doing everything to build this up and make this feel like this is the end of the line for this four-year trek for Roman Reigns to finally beat this guy. Mm, Yes. Then we had the rundown of the SummerSlam card. 
And I do want to make mention of uh, one of our followers, Nelson, on Twitter, who did uh, draw my attention to this. This might have been the worst rundown of matches from this announced team. Okay. First of all, Jonathan Coachman. I am fairly certain he has never said Drew Gulak and Shinsuke Nakamura's names before <laughs> because the way he pronounced their last names, like Drew Gulak and however he pronounced Nakamura's name, but that was secondary to him teeing up that United States champion Jeff Hardy will be defending his title against the challenger Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh, which wow. Which would be accurate if we lived in opposite world. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking he's watching SmackDown, much less 205 Live. I know for a fact. Uh, I don't know for a fact, but I really do have a hard time thinking he's watching 205 Live. Yeah, uh, and that's probably the case. Now, in the event uh, of this next one with Michael Cole, I feel bad for this man. He has to peddle so much information in three hours that I feel bad picking on him. But this was this was the tee-up. Ronda Rousey makes her in-ring debut tonight on Monday Night Raw, but in two weeks, she meets rowdy Ronda Rousey. Whoa, that's the first time ever. Wow. So maybe this, maybe it's a callback to when The Undertaker fought himself at yeah. the 1994 SummerSlam. Ronda Rousey's going to fight rowdy Ronda, Ronda Rousey, I her need, alter ego. I need to see that. I need to see that. That's like, uh, you know, with Street Fighter, when you pick the same character. Oh, God, I got to watch that. Imagine there were two alter egos of Ronda that existed, the kind that like everyone loved, and then there was like the crazy one that can't take losses and that everyone just despised. And yeah. they're actually two they're twins. Yeah, happy Ronda and evil Ronda, of course. Oh man. Sign me up. It sounds like that, a glow, it's a glow storyline. Yes. <laughs> it totally is the glow yeah. storyline. Sasha Banks and Bailey took on Liv Morgan and the Viking. Cole noted that Logan's family they pay homage to both Odin and Thor. Oh man, <laughs> I love it! Like I, I think it's. <laughs> I will never take these two seriously as uh, championship material, but I, 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 it gets me laughing. Yeah, they pay homage to Odin and Thor. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, uh, Morgan and Logan got the advantage on uh, Bailey for the longest time here. Um, Bailey eventually sent Logan to the floor, and then she's crawling towards Sasha, who has pulled off the apron, and they drag Bailey to their corner. They're double teaming her with stomps. Bailey finally leapfrogs out of the corner. Her knee gives out, delivers a snake eyes to Morgan. The audience is cheering. She finally tags Sasha, who runs wild for all of 30 seconds before tagging Bailey back, uh, who hit a top rope Rana. Sasha tagged back, Meteora off the top. Morgan made the save. And then Bailey tosses Morgan to the floor when a hooded woman appeared and Sarah, uh, which one is this? Liv Morgan Liv, was pulled yeah. out of the way. And the masked woman, the hooded woman was Ruby Riot making her return. And this distracted Sasha who was rolled up by Sarah Logan at 1053. I thought this was a, a pretty good match. This was a pretty good tag match. And You're I think struggling that really hard to call this a pretty good match. I don't want to oversell it because like, <laughs> this was hardly like the greatest thing I I've seen, but I think that Morgan and Logan have become a, a decent tag team and banks and Bailey look very good in this as well. So this, for, for the fact they went 11 minutes here, um, this blew away Baron Corbin going 11 minutes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't really have too much of a response to it um, either way, to be quite honest. I feel like 
In the third hour of Raw, I've already seen so many long chin locks, so many tosses to the outside that turn into commercial breaks, that I'm just kind of numb to to most of these matches because so many of them just kind of feel the same. And I don't even blame the wrestlers. It's just the the style and the direction that they're given. I I wasn't necessarily that inspired either way. Yeah, this late in the show, it's like such a death slot to be in this. Like 10.30 p.m. is maybe the worst time to be thrown out there on Raw. Uh, they did a big feature on Ronda Rousey, and next week they announced the B team against Hardy and Bray against the Revival in Greensboro. Alicia Fox came out with Alexa Bliss for our main event, and Charlie Caruso is in the ring, and thus began. They just wanted to milk as much time as possible before this match began. Mm. Charlie Caruso interviews them. Bliss answers, makes fun of Charlie for her question calls Alicia a trailblazer and tells Charlie to put her journalism degree to use and ask a good question. So she asks Alicia about Rhonda and then she's kicked out of the ring and they laugh about Rhonda Rousey and list off her uh, accolades as a UFC hall of famer, an Olympian. But Alicia says, was she the captain of the raw women's team at survivor series? No, she wasn't. I forgot about that. Yes. Everyone did. Bliss then takes over the interview and, Puts over Alicia saying we wouldn't have this evolution pay-per-view without women like you. This was the first evolution mention we got on the show. Impressive. First and only. She thanks Alicia and that comes on behalf of everyone in the locker room except for Rhonda who isn't grateful and shouldn't have a title match. Finally, she's interrupted by Rhonda coming out with her friend Natalia. Mm -hmm. That's her new name. Her friend Natalia. So, this is introduced like it's a title match with JoJo in the ring for the introductions. And you have this big, important moment as this match is about to begin. Ronda's first match on Raw. This is all a backdrop for SummerSlam for the first women's pay-per-view. And there in the front row is a big, prominent sign facing the hard camera that reads, Spank me, Ronda. Oh, my. The match finally begins at... Five past 11. So you knew this was not going too long. And they essentially just tried to stretch this out as long as they could with lots of teases from Alicia before she'd go to the floor. Alexa distracting uh, Rhonda, which led to Natalia pulling her down. And then Natalia was nailed into the post and Bliss tripped Rhonda behind the referee's back and allowed Fox to kick at her. And then Rhonda went into angry mode, looked up, Nailed her with these jabs, body shots, and then threw her with three extremely violent throws. Mm-hmm. Fox went to the floor. She was sent into the barricade. Rhonda, under her breath, probably said, that's for Travis. And then Bliss distracted her. Rousey catches Fox, throws her again, pulls her into the middle, stares down Alexa as she applies her arm lock and Fox tapped before this thing was even applied. It was like a very early tap, but whatever. 344, this goes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and important to note, it was an arm lock and not an arm bar. And she's yeah, she's deep. not doing the straight arm bar. Yeah. So, man, I thought this match was exciting. Ronda's offense just looks amazing yes. and very credible in a wrestling context. I thought this match offered a good, convincing preview for people who may not have who may have heard that Ronda's been doing this wrestling thing, but hasn't necessarily sampled her pay-per-view matches yet. Um, And I think it served as a solid squash match that helped get the word out about her match with Alexa at SummerSlam. So 
all in all, I thought uh, very successful. And this was the absolute longest I would have gone with Alicia Fox. Yeah. I think any longer, I think you would have been just running into problems that, I mean, this was kind of, they were, their backs were against the wall here with, you know, certain injuries and stuff that Alicia Fox is in this role. But you could, right, you can also give Alicia Fox that much, if any, offense against Ronda Rousey. It would have looked so silly. Um, I, I thought this was laid out for, this was going to be as good as you were going to get. Uh, it was a good commercial for Ronda Rousey. I wouldn't compare this to her uh, bigger matches she's had, uh, but the audience loved it. I was with you. Like they built this up all show long, and it was just it was just an exhibition for Ronda. And you're right, her offense kind of carried this. Whereas the Nia match, I thought it was her selling that really stood out prominently. But that would have been so the wrong approach to this match for Ronda to sell anything uh, in this one. And I would say for the Alexa match. I don't know how much different you go because it's not the visual you have with Nia Jack. So that's going to be an interesting match because it's tip. You would think it has to go longer than four minutes at SummerSlam. I think you'll see a lot more like, you know, uh, cowardice from Alexa to again, delay this matchup from happening. Cause once Ronda gets her hands on her, it should be quick work. Uh, but you know, we'll see. I, th- I felt also it was important for them to establish that Natalia was the friend of Ronda Rousey in this match because she appeared with Ronda throughout pretty much everything, including the celebrations, uh, because I I do feel they are still working towards that turn. Yeah, and, you know, when they put those two together, you know, I think that they were... I, I don't know how all the, the plans changed or whatever, but mm-hmm. they could have gone to that match a lot sooner, and they've let this thing extend to now. Whenever Natalia does that turn... I think it will have a lot more substance to it than had you done that within the span of a month of when you first linked those two together on television. For sure. Yeah. I still think they have a ways to go to really convince me that, hey, this isn't just leading to a turn and that there's some, uh, an actual friendship here. But uh, yeah, it's certainly better than, you know, just doing it like a month in. You could do it at SummerSlam if you don't want to put the title on her. That's almost the only out you have at this point for Ronda to lose. The turn. Yeah, certainly. Charlie interviews her afterwards. She said it felt great. Thanks for tuning in tonight. And then Bliss came from behind to try and attack her and just got thrown to the floor. And Rousey said, it doesn't matter how tight you hold on to that title. At SummerSlam, it's mine. And the show closed with Rousey and Natalia in the ring together. Uh, Sorry, Rhonda and her friend Natalia closing the show. I I would love to hear from like some of these uh, women that have worked with Rhonda exactly how... mm, how snug maybe Ronda works because her stuff looks so good. Like I can't imagine it necessarily not hurting because man, like her striking looks great in, in wrestling. Her throws look great in wrestling and her submissions look great in wrestling. Almost too good. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. She, uh, she reminds me a lot of, uh, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. A bit like that. She did an interview last week on good morning America and they were asking her about, moving from the UFC to WWE and what that's like. And she described pro wrestling for her, at least as similar to fight choreography. Mm -hmm. And that's probably for most wrestlers, not the perfect analogy, but given, you know, how Rhonda it is though for Rhonda, it is because that's probably, you know, her big matches are probably not all that different from fight scenes. She's done at movies where they are meticulously laid out and she practices and then has to go out and execute them. So 
it's kind of a different thing that Ronda's doing than some of the women that are going out on the house shows, for instance. And, you know, it's just putting a match together mm-hmm. and not leaving a whole lot there for like not leaving pretty much anything for, for improvisation. Yeah. I, I'm curious to, to hear maybe from, you know, uh, professional wrestlers or coaches out there what they think of that philosophy, because I think Ronda is a very different case. Ronda's being expected to put on these great performances on these big shows with very little experience. Mm-hmm. So she almost kind of needs crutches like this. Uh, but, you know, isn't necessarily the worst way to teach somebody how to wrestle. Certainly, I wouldn't put her out there to improvise right away. But like when often like when people learn instruments, they learn via, you know, doing covers. And then maybe they pick up, you know, some of the the theory about how to improvise and and jam, you know, quote unquote. Maybe this is how the best way to get this celebrity to learn how to eventually improvise a match. Or if that's even a goal, maybe that's never a goal of hers. Maybe she just wants to go through her career doing these choreographed matches. And she also did do three of the house shows over the weekend. So, I mean, you are getting her into that environment as well, where obviously it's going to be much looser doing house show tags as opposed to, you know, what we can expect with this Alexa Bliss match or the Nia match or WrestleMania, where it's it's almost like this big production that you're putting together, um, like opening night of a play, for instance, where you've rehearsed it over and over yeah. and you just have to go out there and execute. It's very different. Hmm, interesting. All right. So that was raw. Um, you know, there, there was some very good stuff on this particular show. I thought overall the the buildup for Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, I, I thought was uh, positive on tonight's show from the performances in particular, Paul Heyman. I agree with you. I think that that match is in good shape. I think the Ronda Rousey uh, appearances on, on Raw towards the, the match with Alexa continues to, to look pretty good. But man, there is a lot of pretty, uh, a lot of stuff that dragged to me on this show. And that's pretty much everything else on Raw. Well, go beyond those top two matches from Raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll include Ziggler and, and Rollins in those three matches. Mm-hmm. And then it's a steep drop after that when you're talking about Balor, Corbin, Lashley, and Elias, tag, uh, tag titles. Um, if you're getting the authors and Titus Worldwide, like it's a pretty steep drop of matches that I think are just going to be filling time on the Raw end at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Tonight's poll... Rating tonight's episode of Raw, 0 to 10. I think this one is still going to get a 5 or below. Okay, yeah, that really is... Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to say, uh, to me, I feel the, the main event did well, so I'm going to go slightly over 5. Okay, so you think it gets a pass. I yeah. think it'll still be low. 5.2. Oh, there we go. You win. All right. You owe me a sandwich. <laughs> Let us start off with Brandon from Oshawa. I got very hungry, by the way, listening to WH's uh, ratings Mm -hmm. over the weekend. Brandon from Oshawa writes, There used to be a time when Monday would come, and I would look forward to Raw all day. I was actually excited for it to come on. That excitement is now reserved for being the elite, who put out quality on a weekly basis. I'm going to try and focus on the positive, though, because there were a couple things I really enjoyed. The first was Paul Heyman. I could have done without the rocking back and forth, but it was a great performance by someone I think has been quite stale for a while. Mm -hmm. Felt like he found what works, and he stuck with that, and it's good. But it's gotten old to me. This was Heyman building on something, showing emotion, and we rarely get to see that portrayed on WWE television, and I loved it. The red eyes and the stubble added so much. These little things are what other workers should be taking notes on. 
The other thing I liked was the build to the main event. I thought they did a good job at making Ronda's first Raw match feel important. I would agree with that. They highlighted both stars throughout the night. It was quick and fun, and I'm glad the mic didn't come back and smack Ronda in the face. I found it odd that Michael Cole told us that Ambrose wouldn't be Rollins' partner. Why do you think that was done? It isn't something they usually do. Did you catch that line? Uh, No, I didn't, actually. No. Well, then, there you go. Maybe Michael Cole just uh, preemptively lowering everyone's expectation level. Yeah, on the note of, like, Paul Heyman, I mean, you know, Paul Heyman, because he isn't a wrestler, he's only strictly a performer. He should be at a higher level than anybody else who is a wrestler, you know? Because he, that's, if if wrestlers were as good as Paul Heyman, we wouldn't need guys like Paul Heyman. So he has the advantage of not having to worry about anything throughout the week but this sit-down performance, whereas wrestlers have to, you know, do a whole lot more. So it's a very high bar he's setting, but it, it also, you know, it's also a good example, though, for what people can aspire to if you're a wrestler. We go to Sean from Toronto. This week I returned to watching Raw after a number of weeks off, and it seems I haven't missed too much. Thank goodness that Ronda Rousey's first match on Raw wasn't a total disaster or swerve, but I never want to hear Alicia Fox cut a promo ever again. She sounded like she was drunk. My only criticism is that the match was longer than it needed to be. Also, I have to add that the new B-team theme does fit the team better than whatever CFO had been doing previously. We go to Mark from Vaughn. This show didn't have much of consequence happen, but I did like the closing with Ronda and keeping that hook, even if the second hour is typically the viewership peak for the show. It's nice to see Heyman keep his streak of appearing in different settings than he usually does. His sit-down was great. SummerSlam build just isn't feeling very hot. Do you feel there's any chance Brooklyn responds to Roman in a similar way to the reaction he got in the opening segment tonight? If they do a really good job building him this night last week, it's possible. Not for the entrance and not for the beginning. Like they will be working from behind to try and win that crowd over, which no, this crowd, this crowd is going to be very, very tough. Yeah. This crowd is going to go there with the, like looking forward to booing this match. Out of the building. So I I think it's really tough. We got to Alan from Glasgow. Although Ronda main invented Raw, I, it was still slightly disappointing to actually see her wrestle on Raw in such a shitty matchup. Her first match on Raw and it's against Alicia Fox. It could have and should have been something they kept for a huge Raw. For instance, the one after Mania. What do you guys see happening in the main event of SummerSlam? I can see Reigns beating Brock and Brock losing his shit and attacking Reigns leading to a Strowman cash-in. I think they need something more in store than the rain simply beating Brock in front of that crowd. I mean, you watch a show like this, it just seems so like they've been building towards this win mm-hmm. that after all this time, and then you're going to have someone cash in on Roman. It's just what's wrong almost, with that though. But then you, why, but, but, oh, but you tell the story of Roman achieving his goal. Okay. But having Braun Strowman spoil it. So he goes after the next target, which is Braun Strowman. Yeah, I just feel that after they've dedicated all this time to this thing, it's not going to be just for a quick title reign. That's and then you're in the in the chase position again with Braun. I mean, it's it's a possibility that mm. you could do. Um, you know, it ensures you get that big pop at the end of the night. Um, but I, I I'm leaning towards it just being Reigns winning, and that's that's how SummerSlam ends. Yeah, I, I almost kind of want to see that just to see the reaction. It probably won't be a very happy one. Uh, Bill and Alex from Orlando. We were at the show, and right off the bat, more cheers for Roman than usual. Slowly but surely, the audience is getting more behind him. 
First match uh, was a bit of a waste in how they used Finn. The Kevin Owens show was fun as it happened right in front of us. We were really hoping for Dean when Roman was removed from the match. The crowd was extremely disappointed he never showed up. Alex had a moment of tears. She's a big fan. Looked like Paul Heyman was having a heart attack that whole segment. Ronda match was good. Crowd really popped for all of it. To us, it looked like Alicia Fox tapped out before Ronda even got the armbar on. Did you guys see that too or did we miss it? No, that's exactly what it looked like. Uh, less empty seats than last week. We rated it six crying Alex's out of 10 due to no Dean, a big letdown of the tag match. So there you have it. Dean Ambrose, mm-hmm. uh, reducing people to tears with yeah. a non comeback. I don't even have such a big problem with Alicia Fox tapping out before the arm bars locked on. Cause I think in many real life situations that would happen like yeah. out of fear that you're about to be put into an arm bar from Ronda Rousey. Sure. We go to Matt in the 604. Any word on the return of Ruby Riot, and do you think they are building up for a women's tag team division, or is this just filler for the Hugs and Boss connection? Um, any word on her return? I I can <laughs> confirm she's back. Um, uh, like she, she'll be wrestling, maybe is what Matt Matt is asking. Yeah, wh- where do you see those women fitting in for SummerSlam? Do you see, do you see a handicap match? Do you see some kind of yeah. uh, tag partner being thrown Bailey and Sasha's way? I can't think about who that would be that would make sense, you know, and that would fit into this uh, Sasha Bailey storyline. So I think I would say you either get Ruby Riot tagging with one of the two, or I think more likely would be a handicap scenario, like you suggested. Yeah. All right, we go to Chris here. Just when you think Heyman has gotten stale over the years, he goes and cuts an Oscar-worthy promo that reminds you why he's the best in the game. That was something they'll be referencing for years. Between Bailey referencing the women's tag division on Instagram, her and Sasha still having prominent tag matches so close to SummerSlam, what is the likelihood that by or at Evolution there are women's tag titles? Finally, I just want to give a huge thank you for such outstanding work on the G1 this year. Uh, well, thank you, Chris. Um, you know, I, I had heard a few weeks ago when I uh, about those women's tag titles when it was being rumored that there were no plans at that time of introducing them. It was right before the announcement on Raw when that was going around of whether they'd be tag titles or not. And I heard at that time uh, that was not anything in the plans, but also something that is seems inevitable that they will eventually introduce. And Stephanie largely said as much in an interview recently, the fact that, you know, they've heard that and it's something that is a possibility down the road. So. Maybe maybe they will introduce them by October, maybe later, but it seems like something eventually they'll get to. It seems like a tournament to crown inaugural champions would be a perfect thing to put on that. Like a, the, the, the last, um, the finals of, of the tournaments would be a, a perfect thing to put on that Evolution show. I guess you're already doing that with the Mae Young, but I, I, I'm totally in favor for the tag team t- belts. It feels like, you know, people like Bailey and Sasha are kind of feuding over nothing right now without some of, some of that focus that a belt gives you. We go to our last piece of feedback here from, uh, his name's John from Jacksonville, who was in attendance tonight. He says, this was my first Monday Night Raw in months that I've watched from start to finish. I know this sounds redundant by now, but the three-hour runtime is way too exhausting. There was so much WWE advertising, I thought I was watching a YouTube clip with ad rolls. I didn't like the tease of Dean Ambrose. I felt like the live audience kind of got gypped. I suppose he's coming next week. Plus, pluses of the night, Seth Rollins got a really good reaction and continues to prove, in my opinion, he should be in a higher spot on the card. Elias was amusing, and I didn't think Bobby Lashley came off that bad either. Ronda Rousey was what people were waiting for, and she delivered. This was another great showing for her. I was really curious to see if Alicia Fox would get any hometown fanfare, considering 
Ponte Vedra Beach is less than an hour away from here. She did get a smattering of chants and cheers, which I wanted to bring up specifically because I feel like one of our chants that continued throughout the night probably sounded like we were booing on TV. The crowd was actually chanting Duval. It's a local Jacksonville chant that more or less has to do with our NFL team, the Jaguars. In closing, I didn't hate this show, even though the runtime was long. Keep up the good work. All right. Well, thank you very much for all your feedback, including the people that attended the show live on Monday in Jacksonville. That is going to wrap up the show. But as we mentioned, lots coming up this week. Way and I will be back Tuesday night with Rewind to SmackDown. And then we will also have the double shot on Tuesday night where we will chat about uh, Lucha Underground from last week, being the elite, and who, who knows what else might pop up on the double shot. So that will be available for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And what a great week to sign up for the cafe because you will get the double shot as well as all of our remaining G1 shows. We will have shows Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday for the G1 finals. A very busy week coming up with. I'm excited. I'm excited for it to be over, too. <laughs> Yeah. You will next Monday. It will be man. You can just relax and know that man. This weekend, I can just chill out for uh, eighteen hours of WWE. Oh yeah, from Brooklyn. Awesome. It never ends. All right, that's it, everyone. Uh, go check out postwrestling.com, and we will speak with you on Tuesday night.